Welcome back to Have You Ever, a podcast presented by Integrated Financial Group. My name is Tyler Enninger, and I'm also here with James Davenport. In this podcast, we talk with some of IFG's clients about their life experiences and advice they have for other aspiring people. We had the opportunity to talk with Stephen Nelson of the Piano Guys. In Stephen's discussion and interview, there was just a wealth of information, and we tried to pull out some key nuggets. I think he brings together so many key parts. Just a fantastic friend, a great individual. If you ever get to meet him, he is personable and genuine. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. I'm Stephen Sharp Nelson. I'm often known as the cello guy of the piano guys, which makes absolutely no sense. I mean, if, if we were in the context of Harry Potter, I would be the instrumentalist who shall not be named. We are a group, we're a musical group that got started about 12 years ago on YouTube because we were trying to help a buddy sell some pianos by making music videos featuring pianos in incredible places. Well, the uh, concise story is that uh, the videos took off and the piano store went out of business. So uh, that's the inspirational story for you today, <laughs> is that it's always plan B, not plan A, and that's what ended up happening with us. We're four dorky dads from Utah, is what we like to tell uh, people. We've been on Good Morning America, uh, The Tonight Show, The Today Show. We've played for the President of the United States. We've um, been on The One Show in England. We've been on uh, so many shows I can't remember, but it's all led up to this point right now. This is the gig I've always wanted to have, is the Integrated Financial Podcast. This is what I've been working towards my whole life. So forgive me if I'm gushing a little bit since I'm hitting a bucket list dream here, but um, <laughs> if you're not familiar with The Piano Guys, our goal is to spread hope through music. I think about a quote by Rodgers and Hammerstein. It was, it's Oscar Hammerstein of that musical writing duo. He once said, in our, it is a modern tragedy that despair has too many spokesmen and hope has too few. And you sense that, don't you? You feel that as you're reading headlines, as you're in conversations with people. Despair hogs the airtime. So we hope that our efforts in spreading an, a positive feeling through music can hog some airtime. And so we mash up classical music, which we believe is the ancestor of all the music we listen to today and should be appreciated and respected as such. We mash that up with modern music, film score, pop music. We, we write original music. We've put a piano and a cello on four of the seven wonders now, Chichen Itza in Mexico, Petra in Jordan, the Great Wall of China, and the Christ Redeemer statue in Rio. We've played in just about every concert hall imaginable. Any one you've been to, we've probably played in. And I've traveled over a hundred different countries, every state in the United States, with the exception of North Dakota. Sorry, I don't know why that got left out. I've traveled everywhere, and I want to tell you from my heart that nowhere out there is better than the home. Every time I come home from long travel, I lock myself in a hug with now my 10-year-old daughter who's lived this adventure with me from literally the day she was born and say, this is where life is. And it has taken me a little while to figure that out. And if you're not there yet, that's okay. I've read a book when I was in a master's program. When I was in my master's program, I'd read a great book by Hochschild. He called it The Time Bind. I will sum it up for you right here. <laughs> 
It is that we need to have a vigilance about a possible scenario that is happening far too often that is very dangerous. It is when work becomes home and home becomes work. This means that we're spending the best part of ourselves, the most creative aspect of our personality, the, the, the height of our charisma, the transcendent nature of the best ambitions at work, where people instantly give us gratification and praise, often because we're paying the money to do that, right? But then we get home and we get things thrown back on our face. And it can be a disrespectful place sometimes. And it could be a place of tremendous hard work and exhaustion. And we've all felt this. If you have children, you've felt this. Why are they so mean to us sometimes? I mean, look what we do for them, right? But that's just the way life is. So we switch it sometimes and we make our homework and home a place of work. Where is your heart? Where is it that you spend your best self? And I got to tell you, if you, the answer is work, it's okay. We can work on that together. I work at it every day. I have not found an end-all, be-all solution. I have just found a way to strive for it constantly. There is a very famous Hollywood actor. I won't tell you who he is, but you'd know who he is. He has built himself a very large ranch in Wyoming that is so big and so secure that nobody can come within a hundred miles of where he lives. He doesn't even want to be around people. In fact, the man that we all want to be doesn't want to be himself. This is something we need to diagnose and attack. And this is why I'm attempting to write some of these thoughts in a book I'm calling, working, working title, Entrepreneurship. The lie that success must come from the sacrifice of everything else. And where this idea stemmed from is I was listening to a book on entrepreneurship that was very famous and very acclaimed and on the New York Times bestseller list. And I got through the middle of it and I almost threw up because I was so tired of him giving me a litany of all these people that had succeeded so greatly by sacrificing everything in their life. And yet I knew most of these people on this list were at the end of their life and miserable. What good is that? That's, there's no good in that. And so if we idolize someone, let us idolize them as a whole pie rather than one simple slice. Yes, there is some credible slices and that's wonderful, but let's idolize them as a whole pie. There are men and women out there that are so enviable in all aspects of their life and what they've done professionally, but also what they've done in their personal relationships, which are the only lasting things after all. So I think this is something you need to analyze. Are you buying into the entrepreneurship lie that you must sacrifice everything in order to find the true success and the zenith of success? I say no. I say no. Think about it. You don't have to be famous or rich to make a difference. Why do we insist that? Impact is not directly proportional to fame. Impact is not directly proportional to wealth. Impact is more directly proportional to personal relationships and how we're developing them. One of the greatest nuggets of wisdom I ever received was from a man named David Bednar. You may be familiar with that name. He's a, um, an apostle in the church of which I'm a member. He was asked the question, 
how do you find a perfect balance? And instantaneously, you could kind of just feel the tension of the room increase because this is just one of those questions that seems unanswerable. And he said, you don't. There is no such thing. And I was like, I'm in. Tell me more. I love this answer. I love it. I love it. You know, because I was ready for platitudes. I was ready for trite comments on how, you know, we've all heard it. He said, you don't. It doesn't exist. He said, I believe life is more like spinning plates. And you may have seen this sort of circus act before where someone sticks a plate, typically ceramic, on top of a long skinny pole and spins that plate in a way where the centrifugal motion will balance itself onto that little skinny pole in a way that seems to defy gravity and physics. And then he or she will then move on to another plate and therefore spin another one until the record, the, the world record is, I don't, it's, it's in the 30s or something, I don't know what it is, but you can imagine seeing these plates spinning away on these tiny little skinny poles. He said, Life is more like spinning plates. When a plate needs spinning, you know it. And you go to that plate and you spin that plate. While you're spinning that plate, all the others are spinning on their own. The greatest mistake you can make is to try to spin all of them at once. Or more than one, even. The other grave mistake is to understand that a plate, once wobbling, if not respun, will fall and break. But here's the rub. Which plates are spinning in your life are non-negotiable plates that you would never let fall. Those are the plates that you need to completely understand that without spinning them at the right times when they need it will fall. And I've discovered that my non-negotiable plates in my life are personal health, family, and faith. Those are my non-negotiable plates. Now, you may have noticed that work is not even one of those. That's because if work were to wobble and eventually fall, I would be okay. I would still be okay. Because I have what I love, what I believe in, and I have my health, and I can recreate that wealth. Just like our Andrew Carnegie once said, you know, what if I took all your money away? Well, I'd make it back in a year. I love that attitude. He didn't, it was a plate he didn't care to spin so meticulously that other plates would fall. Now, you're, you may be like I am. I'm an a, I'm, I, I have a superpower. It's called ADHD, and I love it. There's a kryptonite aspect of it because when it comes to general focus, it's not so good. But I love the creative power that it gives me. But in that very nature of my personality, I have too many plates spinning. I do. I recognize that. I'm aware of that. And I'm, I give myself grace for that because that's part of who I am. But I do recognize often that I have to take plates off of their poles and set them down gently so they don't break. And that's my, of my own volition and agency. Or inevitably they will wobble and fall. And I've got to be okay with that. So when I'm on tour, when I go on tour, I got to tell you, tour is insane. Any musician who says they enjoy tour is lying through their teeth because there is nothing hardly enjoyable about the travel aspect and the stress aspect of tour. I love performing. That never gets old. And I love helping people feel the worth of their own souls. That's my favorite part of performing. The performance is heaven. The travel is hell. It just is. It, it is so hard and you, you, your circadian rhythm gets thrown off. So this is how my schedule goes. You wake up, 
you try to get some form of exercise in because you, you have to have something like that. Then you go and you do a sound check at a new venue you've never played before or haven't played at for very long. You sound check. Often we'll have audiences during the sound check, so you need to be on your game performance-wise. They'll do a Q&A or we'll do pictures with them. Then and there's the performance, which for us lasts two and a half hours long. Then after that, we could have upwards of 500 people in a VIP meet and greet line that have paid to meet and greet you at your highest energy. They, they, they want their money's worth, right? I can't be like, oh, I'm feeling tired. Sorry about that $100 or $300 you spent, but I'm not feeling it. Well, that's not possible. So then after that, you're so hyped up on adrenaline, you get on a tour bus that has these coffins lined up just, you know, for convenience in case it goes wrong on the road. And you lie in these coffins and it's it feels like you've put a quarter in a laundry machine and, and hopped inside. There's no chance of sleep, okay? So... I am sleep-deprived, have to be on, 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 on all the time. And I asked my manager, who managed just about every famous person you can imagine, including Bon Jovi, which is one of my favorites. But he said, I said, how do you do this? How do people do this? How do they sustain this? And he said, oh, yeah, there's easy, drugs. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. He's like, well, okay, it's up to you. So here I am on tour. How much can I spin the family plate on tour? I tell you what, I could try. And I still call my wife every day, which is important to check in and, and have that time. I still try to do some FaceTime with my kids once in a while, but I communicate with my wife and we both agree that I can't really be all in with my family when I'm on tour. So I spin that tour plate with such precision and vivacity that when I go home, I can spin the home plate and let that work plate just spin, spin, spin on itself. Now, when I get home, that home plate sometimes is a little wobbly. And if I go spin that work plate right away, right when I get home, what's going to happen? It's not, the results aren't good. So what, what I do, this is what I call a garage prayer. And I hope you believe in prayer, regardless of whether you consider yourself a religious person. I hope you believe in prayer. I pull into the garage, and that is where I've said some of my most ardent prayers of my life. I say, God... I'm pulling into my garage. Home is where I need to be my best self. I don't have any energy. I feel like crawling into a ball and crying. I feel like being upset and angry with everybody I meet because I'm at my wit's end and I have nothing left. Will you please give me the energy I need to be my best? And it's not going to be perfect, but to be my best where it counts the most. And that is how I focus on spinning that family plate. And that means quality time. It doesn't mean quantity. It means quality time with my spouse and my children doing what they love. Hopefully we can find overlap in what we love. That's ideal. But sometimes that's not always the case. So you focus on what they love and you find that as you're in the activities they love, they talk. One of my favorite things to do is the hardest, one of the hardest things to do. At night, if you have young children, do not underestimate bedtime. It is the time you want to strangle your children because you've had enough. It's been a long day and they won't go to bed and they've come out six times and how many glasses of water can you actually have? But I will tell you, do not underestimate the power of bedtime. Laying next to your child in their bed and letting them talk. I've had the craziest, coolest, most awesome experiences 
in just that one simple act of laying down next to your child in their their bed, not yours, their bed, and going inside yourself meditatively to, to try to find some good questions to ask them. Not the, how was your day? Oh, nope, that's not going to work. Good. That's all you're going to get. Tell me about a time today that made you laugh. Tell me about a time today that made you smile. Tell me about a time today that made you afraid. How did you handle it? You ask questions like that, and it's crazy the kind of conversations that can assume. Let's just, let's just let him go. Just let him just run with it. And yeah, it's late at night, you're tired, but that is one of the best plate-spinning times I've ever had in my life. And it's simple, and it's easy to do, and anybody can do it. So that is something I would ask yourself, is what are your plates? Which ones are non-negotiable? Which ones are wobbling? And the ones that are wobbling, can you let them go? And if you, if you can't, then you've got to go spin them. And the only caveat I would tell you is if you really look into the lives of these people we venerate, these guys that are building ranches out in Wyoming that they don't want anybody to come near them, the guys that invent the most incredible products and yet get to the end of their life and nobody shows up to their bedside when they're dying, don't be that. Find a way to make your non-negotiable plates things that are lasting, that, that are your treasure. And that is something that I'm still working on today, but I, I have drawn so much happiness from knowing that I don't have to have a perfect balance every all the time. I can spin the most important plates while I'm there and count on the other plates spinning themselves until I get back to them. I believe that everybody should approach their life with a Venn diagram in front of them. One circle is something I'm passionate about, things I'm passionate about. Another circle is things that I'm naturally talented at and gravitate towards and I'm good at. The third circle is things that people pay me money to do. It's you got to have sustainability. The sweet spot in the center of those three is such a cool place to be. And I don't live in it. None of us do. You, you rattle back and forth between those three, but there are these bursts of speed where you find yourself in the center of those three circles, where you're in the sweet spot of that Venn diagram. The problem is, we say, I am so passionate about sushi. Oh my goodness. I, I mean, I know I've tried every role. I've been to Japan several times to perform sushi. Ooh, I'm so passionate about it. So my wife and I were like, let's learn how to make it. So we took a sushi class. Oh my goodness. It's never, I've never had more of a disaster learning experience in my life. It tasted awful, looked even worse. It was so humiliating. Talk about absolute ignominy. This was me at the end of my sushi class. My teacher comes over and he's kind of like, so... Uh, oh, um, do you need some help? Or have you started yet? Like, what stage are you at? I'm like, oh, I thought I was done. <laughs> you know, it was so bad. So there is my one Venn diagram of one Venn says I'm passionate about sushi. Another is people will pay me to do that. They really will. But I'm missing that third component. I just don't have any natural talent. Could I spend 10,000 hours doing it? Yeah. But will, would I be one of the best in the world? I don't know if I would. I just don't have that talent. So uh, you, can, you can kind of place some things in your life. There's hobbies that only hit one or two of those circles. That's okay. That's great. But when you're really spending most of your professional time on, should be hitting that sweet spot as often as possible. It's pretty easy to find what people will pay you to do. There's lots of jobs you can take. But what, what did you do so much? What's so much a fabric of your soul that it resonates with a frequency that vibrates your very being? That is the critical circle 
that is maybe the most elusive and maybe the hardest to find, but that we can never give up trying to find. And it may take some time. And for me, I didn't really professionally pursue the cello. I was moonlighting all my life, of course, but until I was in my mid-30s. So, and that's okay. That's all right. You think about when Van Gogh painted his greatest works, it was far, far later in his life than you could ever imagine. So there's some hope for us. And I think with the extension of our life and with the longevity that's been created with our great medical care, we have plenty of time to discover that resonance. Okay, so, so if we're in a position where we find ourselves, we've exhausted the circle of what people will pay us to do. We've exhausted that. Way to go. I think, first of all, give yourself grace and some congratulations for doing that because that's, that's an accomplishment. You may be at the end of your career and you found yourself that you've spent so much time in the circle of what people will pay you to do and, and perhaps what you're good at but not what you're passionate about. Or maybe you're in what you're passionate about but you can't find a way to merely make money off it. Whatever you may be, decide which of the three circles that you are, you are missing that you're feeling like it needs more attention, that, that you're inhibited in it. Find what that inhibition is, why, and go after that. And you will find great gratification in trying to get the three circles more balanced and finding the sweet spot. And that's what resonance truly is, is when all three of those come together. Bam, it's like hitting a tuning fork and putting it to your body. It just feels like, yes, this is home. This is what I love. This is what I'm good at. This is what people like. I think that's, that's a great place to find resonance. Stephen, thank you. The, the key things that I would take away from this that really stuck out to me is I love that you're about hope. I love you talking about the importance of home and how to connect and how to be humble enough to change when you need to. And I would agree, looking at the entire life of somebody, not just their financial success or not just their fame, but it's, it's how they treat other people. And the part that I, I think is the most gratifying in this whole thing is you helping me realize that I do something that I love and I feel like I'm really good at it. And so as a result, there's a lot of time that I enjoy talking with my clients who have become dear friends and uh, just thanks for being one of them. I really value a lot of Steven's advice here, um, especially as I'm still early in my career, there's a lot I can learn from his experience balancing work life and home life. There's around seven minutes of Steven's personal journey that we felt like we had to cut purely for the sake of time, but we liked it so much that we just had to include it here at the end. So if you've enjoyed Steven's interview, please stick around after the credits for a little bonus segment. Integrated Financial Group is a financial planning firm and multifamily office that specializes in serving high net worth individuals, families, and business owners. Our team helps clients understand the best options to grow their wealth, protect it, and use it with intention. Our emails are included in the episode description, so please reach out if you have any questions. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in about a month with another episode. Now here's that bonus segment of Stephen's interview. When we started the piano guys, again, it was a piano store trying to sell a few pianos. We could, we didn't ever ended up selling any pianos, but our videos went into the millions. Our content is streamed 3 million times a day. To give you a context, every 60 seconds, that's a stadium full of people. There are so many pros and cons to this. Let me tell you about one of the cons. The con, the pro, let me start with positivity. 
One of the pros is you get instantaneous feedback to your creative work. It is an incredible loop. You get to see it every day. Now, you can imagine, what's the other side of that coin? The other side of that coin is that you can drown in feedback. You can be so obsessed with each and every comment. We were getting thousands of comments and emails a day. And I was so inundated with them. And rather than to try to summarize them, which I don't even know how you could do that, I began reading every one and I became obsessed with it. It was actually a pretty innocent desire to find what people liked and what people didn't. But there was ego involved too, because we loved getting stroked, right? The ego is 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 very dangerous thing, very dangerous aspect of us. But it also has a positive component of pushing us to be ambitious. In this case, ego became a little bit of a monster. And I, I started to get so obsessed with each and every comment that I found myself drowning. I remember one one case when I was standing in my kitchen, and I can picture it still now. Light was streaming in through the windows and hitting our very cheap bamboo floor, and I was leaning against our L-shaped island that was coming off the wall, and I was scrolling, and I was scrolling, and I was scrolling. My wife came in the kitchen, and she said, Honey, I can't do this anymore. And I didn't hear her the first time. I didn't even hear her the first time. I was in such a fog. London would have been jealous of the fog I was in. She said, honey, please listen. And I looked up and I looked her in the eyes and she said, I can't do this anymore. This is not what I signed up for. And I all of a sudden awoke to this, this context in which I was where my children were playing and causing a mess my wife looked uh, red eyes, you know, just so fatigued. We were in the very busy janitorial state, you know, custodial state of just that. Kids are constantly creating messes and noises, and we love them dearly. We call it relentless joy because it was very relentless. We were in the more relentless aspect of that part of our history. And I all of a sudden noticed and became aware of everything I had been missing in my fog. And she said it again. I can't do this anymore. I didn't sign up for this. And of course I said, what do you mean? She said, I need you home when you're home. And I had two roads to travel. And maybe you've been in a case like this before. One is the wide, broad, open road of defensiveness that men, we men, often take far too often. The lesser of the two roads, the road less taken, is that of humility and a desire to understand. And somehow, I don't know what it was, I, I chalk it up to maybe divine power, that's the only thing I can think of. Somehow I took that lesser road that day and I said, honey, please tell me what you mean. And she began giving examples of how much of a fog I was in due to all of the drowning I was doing and all of these comments and feedback loops and constantly creating and then, and then witnessing what it was doing. Yes, it was having a positive impact. Could I have justified it? A hundred percent, yes. Look what good I'm doing. This is all for you. Oh, those, all those platitudes we use far too often. Those were tossed aside, thankfully. And I was in a moment, finally, when I said, okay, I understand we talked a little bit more, and I remember that night, I didn't sleep a wink and realized that I was on the brink of losing 
my treasure for the sake of the field that it was in. My treasure is my family. My field is how I can support them, how I can be my best self for them. The ambitions, the worldly ambitions that I seek, and many of them are honorable. But if I focus on that field, I have there's the danger of losing that treasure. And that was that day for me. And so the next morning I woke up, well, I didn't even wake up. As, as I mentioned, it was a sleepless night. I went and found the flower shop that was open earliest. I bought the prettiest bouquet of flowers I could find. And I took an index card and I wrote on it, I will change. And that was it. And I put it on her kitchen counter, the very spot where she had confronted me so lovely and so gently, but firmly. And I put that on there and it stayed there. As long as those flowers lived, that stayed, that lived on our kitchen countertop. And I changed. I did. Have I had days of regression, recidivism? Yes, but they have been short-lived. And I'm proud to say that I keep my family, I still have them, and they are my treasure. Work is not home, and home is not my work. I make sure that those two stay where they need to stay. You can change. 